0: of Israel, it's the farewell to the book of Acts, it's the last recorded discourse of Paul to the Jewish people and as he talked about Jesus Christ as the hope of Israel and it just seemed like that passage, thinking about people, thinking about yourselves, about me thinking about myself, basically alive but not really alive. Jesus starting a work and me starting to come alive and God finally coming and replacing my heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And we are all about salvation, we're all about Jesus, the hope of Israel, and it just seemed like the perfect passage, if you haven't been there for a while in Ezekiel, to think about that and to think about the parallel between your life and the life that was breathed into you by God. And so we're here to just celebrate and be thankful for the salvation God has given us. We still have imperfect lives. We still have things to pray for, don't we? We still have sins to confess and and reminders in in all of our lives that we have a a Jesus that that, uh, died on the cross for our sins, and that's why we touch base all the time. But think about the joy of being brought back from death to life. And that's you. So let's confess our sins together it's in the inside flap of our worship folder and then we'll pray and we'll hear from God's word again about forgiveness let's pray father in heaven we need to be we have tried to heal ourselves instead of trusting in the death of Jesus Christ we have tried to work off our guilt we have tried so hard to pile up good deeds that outweigh our sins When this did not work, we quickly turned to denial and distraction. Instead of trusting in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have tried to change through our own efforts. We have tried to change our hearts through sheer willpower. This has left some of us arrogant. This has left most of us anxious and depressed. Forgive us for trying to heal ourselves. Forgive us for neglecting your grace. Forgive us and heal us for Jesus' sake. Amen. hear now God's assurance of pardon the writer of scripture through the Holy Spirit says to people that he loves my little children I'm writing these things so that you may not sin but if and when anyone does sin we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous he is the propitiation for our sins And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Lord, we thank you for our propitiation. We thank you for the birth of Jesus. We thank you for the purpose of the birth of Jesus. We thank you for the timing of the birth of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, uh, that uh, we get to live on this side of the cross. We get to look and see from your word what really matters and what was going on. Thank you for your scriptures. Thank you that they point out to us that there's a way that seems right to us, but the end is the way of death. But your scriptures, you and through your Holy Spirit, visiting us and and helping us as we hear your word and read your word. And and that time when we looked and, and saw that we needed righteousness that was outside of ourselves. Thank you that we have Jesus Christ as the propitiation for our sins. And thank you that it's not limited to one little race of people or one little sect of people. But thank you that this propitiation is the sins of the whole world, people from centuries ago. And however long you delay your return, possibly centuries into the future, we don't know uh, how long, but people from all time periods, people from all races, people from both sexes. Lord, we thank you that this salvation is, is not uh, based on uh, melanin in one's skin or, or IQ or height or anything like that. But Lord, we thank you that, that you lovingly reached down and saved people from all over. Lord, thank you for our place in that. Thank you that you are a forgiving God. Thank you that we get to hold our heads high and and live as Christians in a fallen world. And we get to smile and we get to love people. And we get to not return evil for evil. And we get to tell people good news and good things. And we get to give a warning. And we get to be serious about you and we don't have to be so serious about ourselves. Thank you for all these things, Lord. Thank you that we get to be Christians in this world. Father, we thank you for uh, our nation. We thank you for the freedom you've given us. It's been unique. Thank you for freedom to assemble. Thank you for freedom of speech. Thank you that we can, uh, without fear, and have been able to all these uh, decades, these two and a half centuries worth of, of being able to say, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And even if people don't agree with us, and even if it uh, even makes some people mad to hear that, that we have the right and have been given the freedom to proclaim that and tell that good news. So we thank you, Lord, for our place. Help us to appreciate it and take advantage of it while we have it. Lord, we pray for people around the world who are not free. Lord, that young man whose picture I saw, who's uh, send into the heart of communist China now from Hong Kong, just for celebrating and, and remembering the freedom lovers at Tiananmen Square. Lord, the threat to the peoples to the people that live in the Republic of China. We pray for that Republic. We pray for Taiwan. We pray for Anna's family. Lord, we pray for uh, freedom everywhere, and we pray for the right to worship and assemble everywhere. We pray that you would do a work around your world. Help us, Lord, to not forget that there are Christians in prisons. There are Christian widows. There are Christian orphans because of family members who uh, stuck their neck out and said, I believe in Jesus. So we pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. Lord, we ask for uh, this region of our country, for New England, for Danbury. We thank you that there are churches in Danbury that are doing the same thing we're doing. They're opening the Bible and they're saying Jesus is our hope. And Lord, we thank you for these brothers and sisters who worship in this part of our country. We pray that you help those churches to be strong. We know our enemy, the devil, would love to tear us and and, and all good biblical churches down. And so we pray for Strength and encouragement and wisdom and, and uh, resistance to the devil when it comes to these things. Help us, Lord, in our congregation to be a loving congregation that reaches out, that sees the, uh, the hope and the possibility for every single person who's alive, that you might save them. Help us to pray for that and help us to uh, work toward that end. Lord, knowing that you are the one who gives the increase, but help us as we plant and as we water and as we share good news and as we let our light shine before people in such a way that they will glorify you. Lord, we thank you for Christian Community Church, and we pray for their ministry in Danbury. We pray for them as they continue to work and develop the building that they've purchased and and, uh, feel you're leading them toward While they're with us, Lord, for this coming year or so, or however long, we pray that you would strengthen them. We pray that the gospel would be clear as a bell to everyone who comes and listens, and we pray for them as they move uh, toward uh, what you're calling them to do. Lord, thank you for the Danbury Chinese Alliance Church. Thank you for Pastor Ye. Thank you for the people that are even now uh, waking up and uh, uh, rubbing their eyes and looking at their day, and maybe there are some people that are on the fence of whether they're going to worship in that church this afternoon here in this building. And we pray that your spirit would work in them and bring them. We pray that if there are non-believers here or in the Brazilian congregation or the Chinese congregation, that that your uh, word would be declared so clearly and plainly and that your spirit would work and that people would come to you in repentance and faith. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being your people, of being your worshipers together today. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll turn as we sing, stand opening our hymnals to hymn number uh, 206. This is the one that we're going to do for a couple of weeks. It's uh, it's a roughly familiar tune. It's a, a song, uh, the brightest and best of the sons of the morning. It's about the star that they followed, that shone the word of Christ. So uh, sing it uh, contemplatively or contemplatively. How about that? Let's sing together. 28, Acts 28, it's the final chapter in Acts. Luke was finished, put down his pen, and this is what he wrote. Uh, It's verses 11, and we'll read till the end of the chapter. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead, putting in at Syracuse... Not the one in New York, but the other one. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day a south wind sprang up. And on the second day we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, Came as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem We've received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God, And trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to our fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can hardly hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Please be seated. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, we thank you for your word today. This Holy Spirit that we've read about in your word that uh, is given credit for being the true the, 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 the author of Scripture, even back in Isaiah. That Holy Spirit, Lord, we know is active today and present here. We pray through your Holy Spirit that you would help us to understand, uh, do your work in our hearts. You know what each one of us needs. So help us, we pray. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is it for Acts for us, but I know it's not it for Acts for you. Maybe you'll read through the scriptures yourselves uh, this year a couple of times and you'll read from Acts. Maybe you'll be reading some book in a men's group or or on your own and someone will reference something in the book of Acts and you'll have a point of reference, something to hang your hat on. Uh, I hope this isn't it. Done with Acts, now I can move on to something else because it just continues to go as we grow as Christians. I had to read a book in back in the old seminary days, and it was called the hermeneutical spiral. The hermeneutical spiral. I couldn't even pronounce it, and I couldn't even know what they were talking about, but then I read it, and they explained it, and they said it's almost like as we approach as Christians with Scripture, you know, an airplane doesn't just land. It spirals around and spirals around and spirals around, and it gets closer and closer to the goal of of touching ground. And I think it's that way with our understanding of Scripture. We hear it, we take it in, the Holy Spirit helps us, and we put things together, we go to Sunday school class, we hear what that is, we tune some things in, we have a conversation with people, and our scriptural knowledge grows. And this happens all the way to heaven for us. So it's farewell to us for Acts Maybe revisiting certain passages on Pentecost Sundays or things like that, but uh, it is not farewell for us, for Acts. Uh, That's part of God's Word. and, And so I hope we've learned and grown. And here we come to this final portion of it. And it's amazing how this last section just pretty much sums up the ministry and life of Paul that we've been hearing about these weeks. Paul was a prisoner. Because of something he referred to as, quote, the hope of Israel. The hope of Israel. This ties in perfectly with this season. Last week we sang, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. The next three Sundays, the 12th, the 19th, and the 26th, we're going to look in depth at Jesus as the hope of Israel. What were they looking for in the Old Testament? How was it fulfilled? So that's going to be our Advent series. We're going to touch base with that. But this morning, I'll give you the answer to what is the hope of Israel, which you already know, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And as Paul is explaining to these Jewish leaders, these non-believing Jewish leaders, Uh, there are three things that I want us to touch base on and see as we look at the text uh, for these moments this morning. Three points. One, the centrality of the hope of Israel to the Christian faith. The centrality of the hope of Israel to the Christian faith. Two, the communication about the hope of Israel to the religious but non-Christians. The communication about the hope of Israel to religious non-believers, non-Christians. And third, the comprehensive reach of the hope of Israel to the pagans. First, the centrality of the hope of Israel to our Christian faith. There are many wonderful things about being a Christian. Many great, Salespeople have sold Christianity or or the idea of Christianity to a lot of people through the years. And they've used a lot of things that are true. Uh, There's a lot of good things. I would want to be a Christian uh, anyway. I think, think, you know, studies have shown Christians are not battling with depression the same way non-Christians are through COVID. Because there's a hope. Somebody goes, well, it's a false hope. They're just believing in this. It's opiate for the masses. It's all that stuff. You know what? Sometimes those opiates are nice to, to get through life with, people say. To have a perspective. To have, uh, there, there's many things, many, many good things about Christianity. Uh, even if you took Jesus out of it, you would want to be a Christian. A uh, One is right here in the text. And that is And that's the one I'm going to look at because it's in the text this morning. I would say that one of the major selling points about being a Christian that's good is the family atmosphere it brings one into. The connection with people. It's a world that's hungry for connection. The world wants family. There's so many lonely people and they're doing a lot of things and joining a lot of of uh, organizations and they're being part of things uh, that are not good for them ultimately and that let them down. The church is a place, uh, if, you, if, you're, if you long for a family or you miss your family, the church is a place, and it's, it's built into the scripture uh, that, that this is what it is. Uh, Acts 28 11 through 15 uh, that we just read. Here's a man, he's got a chain, he's got a guard. He's under a death sentence. That's what the text says. We know from history he died for it. He's not alone, though. He's got Luke with him. He's got Aristarchus with him. They wouldn't have hooked up in life and just been three good buddies without that common denominator of Jesus Christ having saved them. But read about this. There was a movie one time, and I think think it's the movie that Herb loaned us about Paul, uh, the apostle. I think that's the one I'm thinking of, but I saw a movie that reenacted this when Paul came to Rome, and all of these Christian people that had heard about him showed up there when the boat landed and were there to encourage him. And you see that in the text here. It says, there we found brothers. We're invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. There is a built-in family that you're part of. When you become a Christian, you are part of a group of people that God has called and chosen and said, this is my family. There's a true brotherhood among true Christians. Mark 3, 32 through 35, a crowd was sitting around Jesus. And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. If I am Jesus' brother, who's been adopted into his family, and have a welcome seat and am a loved child at that table, if you also are Jesus' brother or sister, a loved child of God, adopted by him into his family and have a seat at the table, what then does that make you and me? Brothers and sisters, family, in the highest, noblest, wonderful sense of the word. And you think about that. Boy, that will sell. You get these young folks growing up and... and. Uh, Parents uh, uh, may be so busy or neglectful or have abandoned, and if there's not a family, they find one. Boy, I hope it's the church. and I hope that their hearts change first. But sometimes there's gangs, and sometimes that's what they talk about, these sociologists that talk about. People provide an idea of family when it's not there. Think about this. Christian family. You do not have to go it alone. Now, we can talk about that, and boy, if it's a setup and and people will say things, they'll say, uh, oh, I I hear people, and it's I kind of laugh because it's kind of, to me it seems kind of sappy until I stop and think about it. But, you know, some pastor might say to his congregation, I love to do life with you. Let's do life with you. And it's kind of like a, but you know what? The fact of the matter is we do live. We, we do live and we, we, we do watch. We show up a year ago and Bruno and Carini in a house that's a portion with four or five different families living in it. We get them to the next place. And we watch as they are faithful and they work and the business goes. And, and God's growing them and, and, and they are are. are, are trying to live for God, and we see the next phase, which was from that place to the place where they're at now, with a garage where he can have his paints and his, his business and build that. And we just watch a little guy be born. We see him get baptized. We watch him grow up. Maybe it's our privilege to teach him in Sunday school. It's always our privilege to pray for him and enjoy and have an encouraging word. And we do this life family thing together. Boy, I read an article a couple of weeks ago saying, be careful, church, if that's your selling point for Christianity, what are people going to do when they stand in front of God and, and, and Jesus, and they say, why should I let you into my heaven? Well, I was part of a family. You should have seen all the stuff I did in my little church. It, 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 that's not the central. That's not the core. There's so many good things about being uh, a Christian. But the central thing, what's our point? The centrality of the hope of Israel to the Christian faith is Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did. And that is our common denominator. That's the thing. That's what makes life together, as Bonhoeffer wrote it in that great book and put some things down and others have expanded on that's the explanation of all of the scripture stuff about us living as a family. The core common denominator that I have with you is not that we kind of like each other, we can joke around, we've been known each other for all these years, we've done all this. The common denominator and what connects me with you and you with each other is Jesus Christ, the hope of Israel. Paul's own statement. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am in this chain. They saw it, remember, as a sect. We've heard about this sect. Don't know a whole lot about it. We want to hear about it. This little group that's, that's coming, want to hear about it. He goes, it's about Jesus. It's about me saying that Jesus Christ is the only hope we have. So in verse 23, when they would appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. They talked, this guy Paul is here. He's going to talk to us. These were the non-believing religious people, the Jewish people that had been uh, living in Rome. And from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus. That's the hope of Israel, Jesus. Trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He took what they said they believed in. He took their scriptures, their holy books, the things that they had grown up with, and he said, I'm going to go back into scripture and I'm going to tell you about the hope of Israel from the law of Moses, from the prophets. And Paul spent all day talking about that. We don't have a record of him saying, You know what? If you just become Christians, you know all these people that are here uh, that came to meet me at the boat, they'd be your friends too. We'd have a little inside deal. My dad, the cop, they wanted him to join the secret society of uh, of a group. I won't even mention the name. You can guess the name. But uh, dad said back in the days before uh, before they started shooting cops uh, even more than they did back then and they had to call in all the license tags and all that, there was a little discretion that a cop had and uh, Dad was a sucker for women's tears. <laughs> he just was. <laughs> um, somebody was sincerely crying. Sincerely, you know, had had. They didn't realize they were speeding. They were whatever. You know, he he kind of. But boy, if you backtalked him and denied and lied and said you weren't going a certain and tried to deny him and question, uh, there's a there's your speeding ticket. If he looked and he saw what they called a fuzzbuster, I don't even know if they have them anymore, maybe they do. You had a fuzzbuster in your car that meant you t- were trying to break the law. If you had a little ring on your finger that you were part of this secret society and he's walking up to your car and you're putting that out there like, hey, good buddy, you're part of the family. If, if, you're, one, if you're one of our societies and we're one, uh, this gets me off. Uh, <laughs> there was no getting you off of that because the idea of a, of a family, of a secret thing and all that. Paul didn't try and sell them on family and on secret and be part of our little secret branch. Uh, When they came, although family was good, encouragement was good, what did he talk to them about? The central thing that we are here and what we must talk about. Jesus Christ, who he is, what he did, how we can be right with God through Jesus Christ. The centrality Of Christ. Paul didn't say, okay, are the guards listening? You distract the Roman guards. Now I'm going to tell you what was really important. We got to overthrow this Roman government. We got to to set up uh, the way it was. We got to get political here, earthly political. And it wasn't a political action committee that he called them to. They would have had their views, Paul would have had his views. Not saying, don't have your views. But what is the church about? It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope of Israel. It transcends the stuff on this earth. It's spiritual, it's heavenly, and it's eternal. Nothing here that Paul said about, quote-unquote, tradition. He didn't say, you've got to lock in. Man, I'm, I'm one of you guys. I know these scriptures. You know the scriptures. we got to get us back. We've got to convert people to our tradition. Tradition only as it pointed to Jesus Christ. He held on to what was true, and the scriptures were true. But he said these traditions that we had were leading to something. They were leading to Jesus Christ. And I've got this chain on me because of the hope of Israel. What can we learn from this as a church and as individuals? One, since this is the emphasis of Scripture, and since this is what the church was established upon, the person and work of Jesus Christ in a right relationship with God, uh, that's what we've got to focus on. All the way through scriptures. All the way through the epistles that Paul wrote. Uh, he said, I determined to preach nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. All the way through the various ones that God used to write the scripture. What's John talking about in these uh, letters? I, I read from him and, and do a lot on Sundays with our uh, our declaration of absolution. About Jesus Christ as the propitiation for our sins. What's Revelation the book of Revelation about. It's about that final uh, division between believers and non-believers and the eternal worship of Jesus Christ in heaven. Hebrews is all about that, about Jesus, the great high priest who offered himself. Since this is the emphasis of Scripture and this is what the church was built upon, Even though we are 2,000 years down the road and all these little divisions and all these little things, we better make sure that we as a church, our elders better make sure that we as a denomination uh, are holding on to that one thing as the important thing and everything else flows from that. People in local churches and denominations, I think, get bored with the gospel. It was about Jesus, Jesus died on the cross, Jesus died on the cross. We've got to have something exciting because the news gives us something exciting. There's got to be some cause that can, if we're not careful, drown out the gospel. The guy says, you should have seen it. We go with all these other churches and we served our city, and, and oh, we gathered all this, and we did all that, and boy, those people in that city loved us because we did all this for them, and the city, you should have seen, oh, it was so exciting. And then if you ask the question, but what did they say when you said uh, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but by Him? What did they say in their excitement of receiving all of your good works? What did, what did they say when you said Uh, There's a hell to be shunned and a heaven to be gained. Oh, well, we didn't get to that yet. (laughs) That's our plan down the road. We've got to just keep... And you say, well, nothing wrong with doing and giving. Biblically, as Christians, we just can't help but do and give and serve and love. But sometimes that's the end of things uh, in churches that get bored with the actual gospel of who Jesus is. Uh, We've got to be about Jesus Christ that shepherd, that one. But we want them to like us. Newsflash. You need to like and love them. Some of them will like and love you, maybe many of them at your point in history, but some won't. And that's not your goal. You let your light shine before God in such a way they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Yes. But our central feature is Jesus Christ, who he is, what he did, and how people can be right with God. We think about the long game. There's a time coming when time doesn't exist. We sing about it, don't we? When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. Uh, we really mean that. There will be a time when there's no time. We think about that. It's not like we've lived somewhere for average of 70 years, either in heaven or in hell, and then we come to earth, and earth is eternal, and we, and, and this is our eternity. It's the other way around. We, we may get 70 years. We may only get 20 like Casey did. We may get 100. Who knows? but it's a short time, and then eternity's on the other side. We think about eternity. The long game. Boy, there are so many wonderful, quote-unquote, benefits to being a Christian. But it starts with one thing, and that's salvation from the wrath of God, a forgiveness of our sins, and our right relationship with God. Uh, The Bible says in Romans 8, if he gave us that, will he not freely give us all things? Jesus said uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And as we're seeking his righteousness, well, his righteousness is, is, thank God for that, because it's his righteousness that we're counting on, not our own righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then what's the rest of the verse? then all these things shall be added unto you. So the quote-unquote selling point, if we ever want to use a word like that for Christianity, is right relationship with God through Jesus, and then everything else wonderful and good that springs from that. Paul wrapped it up, at least Luke wrapped it up as he's talking about Paul in Rome. Paul didn't waver from what he proclaimed everywhere. That Jesus Christ, in a right relationship with him, Jesus Christ as the perfect one, the God-man, the one who died for our sins, that's where it starts for the Christian. That's our anchor. That's our identity. And then what flows from that can flow from that. So having established Uh, from this text, the centrality of the hope of Israel, think for a moment about how we then communicate the hope of Israel, particularly to the religious non-Christians. These were religious people that came to him. These were people who, uh, the Roman world I've read, uh, called them atheists because they didn't believe in this whole pantheon of gods. They believed in just the one God. And so they were called atheists. They were people that had uh, something in common, but they were still uh, heading in the opposite direction in eternity because while they had the scriptures in common, while they had a monotheism in common, while they had even a submission to the one sovereign God in, in their back of their minds, they did not have a rightness with God through Jesus. How did Paul communicate with these religious people? And I would say, even now, where we currently sit, we seem to be kind of in the middle between that. There's still a lot of religious residue in New England and in Connecticut where this church is, is passed. There's still religious residue. There's still a little bit of a respect, still a little bit of an awe of, of scriptures. And uh, oh, the guy that heard I was the pastor and he's going to cut me a break on, on some car repairs because he says, and You know why I, I want to do this, right? I go, why? He goes, because I may get to heaven. I may need to give you a little wink to Peter so Peter can give a little wink to God and I can get in. And I said, you know what? I'll take the, I'll take the uh, break on the car repairs, but I have to tell you it doesn't work the way that you just described it. Um, but that told me there's a little bit of a respect of the priest, <laughs> uh, quote-unquote, the priest. And there's a little bit of, of, of residue here. Uh, there's some religious... What do we do with folks like that that have a little bit of a a respect still? Well, We take them to the Bible that they respect and we show them what the Bible says about Jesus. We tell them where they're not right with God but how they can be right with God and everything can line up and we give them the good news of the gospel because we love them. We don't mock them or laugh at them. We love them. We're sad. We get excited when there's a conversion that the Holy Spirit brings about in their heart. This is where we're at. There is still some rudimentary deference to the Bible and to church where we live, but it is fading fast. People have less and less of a growing up in our country with the Bible as their backdrop. When I go to nursing homes, I can start singing. When I would go see uh, Elaine Kirkland's mom, and she had a series of roommates there. It was the same nursing home where, where Pat's mom uh, was. And I could go, and, and as, as Elaine's mom started to fade out, well, I could sing Jesus Loves Me. And the other gal who I thought was had lost her mind and wasn't even listening would be joining in singing Jesus Loves Me. They all knew the Lord's Prayer. They all knew the 23rd Psalm because it was part of their residue. Whether they were Christians or not, they knew that. I suspect that 10 or 12 years from now, 20 years from now, uh, that part's gone too because people are growing up without any of that. But right now we have that and these are the kinds of religious people with a little bit of a religious background that Paul was talking to. The reason why a name like Christ the Shepherd doesn't raise eyebrows when people drive in, they see it on the side of our building and that's the church where we meet. kind of fits in still with this former religious world. And we can use that. And people aren't, they're not uncomfortable coming, but then you can say, what does it mean for Christ to be our shepherd? And we can go from there into scriptures. So these Jewish leaders who Paul called to himself in Rome, with whom he spent this day, were naturally curious The Bible doesn't say they came hostile. They said, actually, we haven't heard about all that was going on with the leaders in Jerusalem. And they were probably telling the truth. It's a big world and a lot of stuff going on. Why are you here? What's going on? And they came to hear him. But they lived like us in a world that was unpredictable. They naturally had questions about deeper things because everybody does. Somebody gets a near-death experience and all of a sudden they want to figure out and think a little bit more about What if I had died? They wanted to put what Paul taught them into perspective. There was an earthly angle. Now, what did Paul do that helped inform us in our great supreme calling as a church in this part of the country in the year 2022? Give us three weeks. 2022. Uh, What as we approach next year? What do we have? Is there something from this scripture? Is there a pattern that we see in God's people and how they did things and how the Spirit communicated it to us that we as a church can be lovingly fitting into our community? What did Paul do? Well, for one, as I've already mentioned, the message has got to be the right message the centrality of Jesus Christ with no distractions. We can't let the tail wag the dog. There are social issues out there, and boy, people want to say that's. You ever notice how many non-Christians, when they define what a church should be, it's all here's what the church should be. Church, if they're not if they're not doing all these uh, good deeds, they're not a church, and that's central to them. That's what they would rather have you do. I believe it was Ted who was telling me about a. A church in Missouri, you read of this on the Gospel Coalition, and you can just like tell me later it wasn't true. (laughs) But I think think it was you who was telling me the story about the church that got together, and he's nodding his head, it's true, I remember it right. They got together and they said, we have so many people that are overwhelmed with all their medical burdens. And they had some wealthy people and they started a fund, and they helped people that were just overwhelmed with medical burdens. And this church single-handedly changed the lives of people just by paying off their medical... And everybody wanted to come to that church then. <laughs> you know, everybody sought Jesus after he gave him the free meal, didn't they? <laughs> where, did, where did he go? It's breakfast time now. How do you get across there? We've got to find him. All these people came to the church, and the pastor said, we're preaching, we'll just start through the Bible. Here's Genesis, and he gets to the garden, and he talks about Adam and Eve, male and female, created them. All of a sudden, that's an unpopular church, because they're not going along with the current party line, They're going along with the Bible on issues like marriage and things. And they're not so popular anymore. Got to keep the centrality of the gospel central. And then do everything else God lets us and allows us to do. To love our neighborhood. But First things first. What did Paul do? How did he reach these religious people? Well, throughout this text, hospitality, politeness, courtesy. It talks about him welcoming people in. They weren't his brothers in Christ, but he called them brothers. He related to them on on an earthly level. And we we don't only cry for Christians. You read a news report about somebody dying senselessly, and it's a sad story. You don't say, well, where's the funeral held? Were they a Christian, not a Christian? Now, you just hurt. You hurt for people who are hurting. You weep with those who weep. We have a lot in common. We all like, not in all, but, but enough of us like sports. Enough of us like music. Enough of us like uh, nature. There, there's so much we have in common. And we can say there's a, there's a brotherhood on one level, not a Christian brotherhood, but a brotherhood on one level, where these are our people. Something happens in a town, you know, Boston's strong, New Milford's strong, this strong. And there is a a wanting to rally together. And we shouldn't stand outside of that unless there's a biblical reason to stand outside of that. We are. uh, If if famine hits, uh, let's share our resources with everyone. Let's do what we can do. Uh, There's nothing wrong with that. Paul showed a hospitality. He showed a a welcomeness. He He didn't approach them with anger. Brothers, he said, I got something to tell you. And they gathered people to come talk to their brother. Hospitality, politeness, courtesy. What can we do as a church to show hospitality, politeness, courtesy? Well, we're doing some of those things. Someone wants to come and, and, and they've struggled. I tell you, Doug told me this week about in AA Ted had some of the... Did you, did you have some of the cake? I didn't get the cake. <laughs> they didn't offer me the cake. They told me about the cake. Uh, there was a guy who uh, had his anniversary. When they have their anniversaries of, of sobriety, and they're, they're somebody, something drives people to, to, to AA. And this guy owns all these bakeries down in the New York area. He owns several businesses. And what Doug said, he said, Dave, I want to tell you, this church potentially saved his life. We don't know what would have happened, but when all the other churches during COVID were saying, get out of our church, get out of our church, you can't meet, you can't meet. He said, you told us, and he asked me, can we meet? I'm like, you meet. What are the rules? Well, I'm not the boss of AA, and our elders don't have jurisdiction, so you do what you need to do. But people came in, and he said, he came, and it helped him in a crisis in his life, and it got him sober, and he stayed sober. And and, uh, he said, I just want to say this church on that level helped save his life. Like, that's good, you know? Pray for the soul if he's not right. Maybe he's already a Christian. Don't know about that, but I'm glad for the life part. And, and we do what we can. You welcome, you bring in, you say we're glad you're here. I tell you, some guy's training his daughter to, to, to ride her bike out here in the parking lot. I go out there. What do you think they think I'm going to say? No trespassing. Get off our land. This is God's. No, I say, man, I'm so glad. I remember when, you know, when, when uh, uh, I was learning to ride a bike, I learned, and, and I'm just glad, and I'm so glad you're here. This is so good. We feel like God gave us this property. Ride your bike and be careful of that big pothole back there. And they all chuckle. Or now I say, hey, you don't have to worry about that pothole because it's fixed. Um, you welcome We want the windows up. We want people to have our doors open. Uh, We don't care. There's nothing to hide. There's everything to gain by telling people that there's a God and a Jesus, and and we've been saved, and, and the offer is for all. And then on a deeper Calvinistic level, we say that's all in the mind of God, and God will do what he does, but we make the offer. We're happy to. Paul had hospitality. He had a welcoming spirit. They wanted to sit and hear what he had to say um, because he he didn't lead with, um, with an I hate you type of a thing. It says at the end, it says in Acts 28, 30, and 31, Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. Welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ without, with all boldness and without hindrance. So far, Christ the Shepherd, we have lived in Danbury for 16 years. Will it be said of us that we lived here throughout the decade of the 2020s at our own expense and welcomed all who came to us, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance? I hope that's said about us. That's what we want. He said, you're planting a church. You're not setting up a refugee camp for all the reformed people in the area. Um, they can come, but that's not what you're doing, planting a reformed flag and everybody who's disaffected come to there. No, you're there to be salt and light in your community. And Your message, of course, is going to be reformed. It's going to be biblical. Paul also was happy. And this is for us. Notice that Paul was satisfied even with a mixed reaction. Verse 24. Some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. This phrase happened when Jesus rose from the dead and taught people. There were even doubters there. So it's not like our success is if, if we get 100% of the people to profess Christianity. The success is in loving and welcoming and sharing clearly and boldly and letting people know that they heard the gospel. What is the gospel? And then you leave the percentages to God. Paul and I went to this. We met. I'm glad I went there because we met there. It's about it. <laughs> you know, I'm Vietnam I'm cap. I served my time in hell. That's kind of this little wildly fundamentalist college, but I met Paul out there. But there was a story that I heard about there. Where some girl said to her roommate she said i don 't even think i 'm really a Christian. You know what that girl did? She went and she stood against the door, and she said, No one 's leaving this room till you get saved now it 's been forty years. I bet they 've left that room i don 't know what happened uh, that 's not how we we share the gospel. we pray. Well, Bonhoeffer, quote him a second time here." He said, talk to God 90% of the time about your unsaved friend. Talk to your friend 10% of the time instead of the other way around. That's good advice. We pray, we share, and we say, Holy Spirit, please save this one I love. But in the end, between them and God, and it's God's work. So Paul didn't mind. He lived with the fact that some people would come and some wouldn't. Our measure of success, to get us back onto the notes as we, as we approach the end, to welcome all who come. If we're welcoming, if everybody who walks in says, boy, I didn't agree with their wacko beliefs, but boy, those people wanted me to be there. And they were happy, and they, I, felt, I felt welcome. I could go back. No one gave me any dirty looks. And to proclaim the kingdom of God and teach about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our goals. We understand that people will have their own hang-ups and maybe at first they won't even really hear. But it's on us for the problem to not be in our message. It's not get them to stay at all costs. It's not let's run some surveys and people in the 06811 zip code They drink more Dr. Pepper than Sprite because we paid some social media company. So let's make sure at all of our events we have Dr. Pepper. There's no Sprite. That's okay. It's not like marketing. It's not like trying to convince. It's not like trying to weasel our way in. It's not trying. Boy, it's loving people, welcoming them, making sure that the gospel is the gospel that we proclaim. Final point. Comprehensive reach of the hope of the Israel to the pagans. It's a lead into the next three weeks because we're going to see that the hope of Israel is actually God's blessing for the whole world. But just quickly as we as we wrap this up, he said in verse 28 of chapter 28: Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Paul quoted Isaiah to the religious leaders. Explaining why some of them would not listen, and this didn't sit well. Here is something throughout Acts. It's something in our world today. All of this, everything's a. oh, boy, it's just all, it's all about race. Somebody said, chess is racist because white always goes first. That's inherent racism. That's what somebody said. Like, What? But what, the, the pieces that Caleb and I play on are kind of green and ivory. Uh, how, do we, how do we determine that? Uh, if everything is that, the Bible has an answer to that. The Bible says that God's not a racist, The Gentiles will hear. People with their dead bones will uh, be brought back to life. Show me a skeleton, tell me what the race was, tell me what the gender was, I don't even know. Just a pile of bones, all of them. God says, I'm going to put flesh on those bones I'm going to put a heart of flesh into them. Uh, Listen. Christianity involving the eyes, which everyone has, the heart, which everyone has. Peter, at the beginning of the book of Acts, said, listen, everybody, this is a universal call. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, your children, all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. With many words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. The application that God has given when he said, the gospel is for all. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not all of this race or this continent. He says, whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Not you have to be this or that. Uh, There are Christians all over the place. Every continent. Africa is teeming with Christians. Brothers and sisters. You read stories in China of Christians, all these Asian places. Boy, I loved looking at Abhishek. I loved talking to you about the Christian community in India and how that was and Lutheran missionaries going there. God didn't hesitate to save people from Europe and Asia and Africa, North America, South America, Australia. And I bet if one of those five to 10,000 people who lives in these camps in Antarctica called out to the Lord. The Lord wouldn't ban him because he was in Antarctica. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. And so we understand that it's not about jumping on whatever the world tells us is the latest crisis and the latest fad and the latest thing. Uh, who are they? Who is God? We look at our Bibles. What does God say? Does it match up with the Bible? Then it's true. Does it contradict the Bible? Then it's false. Do we not know? Then we don't know. So we'll just read our Bibles and we'll do what the Bible says. And the Bible says, whoever comes to the Lord will be saved. And the Bible says in the book of Revelation that people from all tribes and tongues and languages will be around God's throne worshiping. People from both sexes will be there. The Bible is full of rich people who came to know the Lord and God let them stay rich. The Bible is full of poor people who came to know the Lord and God on this earth said they're poor, but they are rich in heaven and their riches are there. No distinction. We are a church and we have to be a church that welcomes everyone, that preaches the gospel and doesn't get caught up in the fads of, of the world. Here we go. End. It's not an application this morning. It's a transition to the table. One, when you receive communion, which we're going to do in a minute, you are demonstrating, you're saying when you receive communion, one, I've not only heard the word on an intellectual level, but God has opened my eyes and changed my heart and I've turned to God. Two, you're saying, Jesus has paid the penalty for my sins and made me right with God. Three, you're saying, It's not a matter of my prior religiosity or my prior embrace of a pagan lifestyle. It's all about Jesus Christ and my relationship with God through him. Period. End of story. Some of us got saved out of religion. Some of us got saved out of irreligion. We got saved. Jesus saved us. We were sinners. Four, last. I am coming to this table more than in just my individual capacity. I am joining this feast with men and women of all racial makeups who have their own God-given personalities, gifts, and callings. And the common denominator is that we have each turned to God from this world and have been adopted into God's family. And that's what we're doing at the table. And we're joining people. Uh, I read that illustration one time. They said it's just like a a wave, you know, in the stadium. And, And European announcers call it the Mexican wave for some reason. We just call it the wave. Maybe it started in Mexico, but, but the fans, you know, you get bored at the game, and you stand, and it comes around, it's just like a big old wave, and, and you get the people standing up and cheering around their, their deal, and, and uh, that's like what we're, it, it's our turn. Here comes the wave through the time zones. Here's these churches. Here's these Christians that have met, and it's our turn to, to come to the table, but we're united with all these people who God has called out from around the world, and we are partaking as Christians, and that's what we're doing here. Let's Pray and thank God for what he's done for us. Thank God for the message of the gospel and pray that he'll keep us central to the gospel. Let's let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your salvation. Thank you for the book of Acts that we just finished up. Thank you for the message that is true and good and wonderful. Thank you that it's easy for us to understand, even though it might be hard for us uh, to follow sometimes. But Lord, we thank you for the centrality of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And thank you that we get to, to come to this table now. In Jesus' name, amen.